When you're a Klingon general and you want to throw Jazzy Jeff out of your mansion, you know you're listening to Vija, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. You got to make a decision. You're either an Affliction guy or a Ned Hardy guy. We'll co-host Peter. Uh, before we discuss this week's episode... Gotta uh, bypass st- that 10-minute hate, man. We gotta... <laughs> no, we, we're gonna we're gonna pause the ten minute hate and have ten minutes of appreciation. That's a good way to put it. Because unfortunately, here uh, contemporaneous to the recording of this episode in late January 2024, uh, we uh, we have un- we've uh, have the unfortunate news that Gary Graham, actor known to us primarily as Saval here on Enterprise, someone we have appreciated his presence on screen has passed away and at the unfortunately early age of, I think of 72. Uh, it's strange to say that 72 is young these days, but I, I, you know, it is, it is. Especially with that California clean eating. Yeah. And you know, Gary Graham has been active in Trek fan circles for many, 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 many years. Um, he was an actor who did Trek fan films. Uh, he was on the convention circuit. He did podcasts. He's been out there and, he was almost Riker. Almost Riker, yeah. Yeah. He he was uh somebody who was in the Trek orbit before he landed his semi-regular role on Enterprise. Obviously, we that saw would him be in Voyager. Such a good podcast name, Almost Riker. Then, mm. Or a good punk rock game. Oh no. Mm. Jazz na- jazz band name. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Gary Graham, uh have we ever said a single bad thing about Gary Graham? No. You know no. why? It's cuz the dude was quality. The first time I met Gary Graham in Star Trek was uh, Cold Fire. Yes. Uh, that's the old Kess uh, episode where they find the secondary caretaker mate. And she's got the the pack of Super Saiyan Okampa that are um, playing with full decks. And Gary Graham tries to seduce her to the dark side and really get her. Uh, pyromancy thing going more than partially succeeds given the state of Tuvok's blood in that episode re it gets boiled take that hydroponics bay there are such good practical effects and like horror stuff like Tuvok pinned to the ceiling um his uh, as you said what he's most famous to us for is Suval which uh, he really gave the character a texture and I'd say Suval's one of like three flagship Vulcans that you just think of off the top of your head, right? Spock, Tuvok, and Suval at this point. I would say T'Pol before Suval. I'm sorry. Well, listen, man. She's so far off the rails anymore. Like, they they had to play the sexy girl card angle on her. And then, like, you know, you don't want to just have another boring Tuvok. So, like, she's got her crack rock addiction that's brought her emotions and stuff out like i'm talking just by the book vulcans right oh yeah yeah i think that even more so than spock in that regard because spock obviously had his own instant conflict and drama and being half human uh tuvok and saval are really buttoned down normal vulcans and saval comes off as much more textured as you said you know like our main complaint about Tuvok is he's just kind of so solved as a character. He becomes a little boring and difficult to use as a focus. God help you. 
if he gets that detective hat out, you're in for oh, real you're in for big time. Punch him and put it on Neelix's head as quickly as you possibly can. <laughs> but uh, for Soval, at least Detective Neelix would kick people into plasma fire. <laughs> he sure will. Just <laughs> straight into hell, right off the top rope, too. Right Everyone's off like, the make out this? Like, I don't know, me. <laughs> Ask Satan. <laughs> I, I don't, if I had to guess where Jonas is, I would say he's probably next to... Who is the guy that uh, he fed to the worm? That the oh, dinosaur oh people God. found his... Uh, yeah, the, the poor Hogan. guy. Hogan, that's right. Hogan, stand on this spot with all the bones. Clearly nothing bad will happen. I'm just going to turn my back real quick. Starfleet nobody's zero Neelix two. <laughs> well, you know what? I just want to take a moment to appreciate Star Trek Voyager for doing something Star Trek Enterprises struggled to do, which is make me remember it years later. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think I still like have these vivid memories that you do from these Voyager episodes that I will remember for the rest of my life in our conversation. And I try to remember anything we said about episodes from seasons one and two. And I'm, I struggle. I struggle hard. I do. I, you know, once the show becomes more uh, interesting, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it has vastly improved. I think uh, the quality of our, of our uh, show as well. And uh, I, I remember, you know, season three with a great deal of fondness, but but button that back no, no, nothing nothing beats you know pipes the patriots man like you, no. you know solid suitors sneaking through killing k's on one after another but tying it back to gary graham i mean when i do think about early season enterprise the vulcan stuff was always good oh yeah and he was always in the vulcan stuff and, and he said that guy- like some of the only episodes are salvageable were basically what the the andorian vulcan drama and he was a big part of that Right. And for him to have um, taken us on this journey with Suval, where it's just this insufferable fuck to like this dude's pretty cool, like former spy assassin security guy to like, hey, I've been humanity's bro the whole time, but I knew I was working for shitbags and I had to lie to everybody. And, you know. You telling me that you, I didn't seem at all nice to you and that I really su- uh, surprised you like that's a that's a genuine compliment to spy. Thank you, Trip. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I never gave away that I liked you. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, I always liked you, Gary Graham and uh... safe journeys. I'm I think the world was better for you gracing uh, the silver screen. So lots uh, of Star Trek people dying. Yeah, I mean, we're running out of people to maybe rope into a podcast. We're going to have to (laughs) to get on it. (laughs) Have to sit down before we start DS9 and have a real conversation about do we want to try and get anybody on this podcast? And if so, we got to start making plans now before everyone is dead. How old is Ron Moore? How much time does he have? That guy will talk. You know, Cisco's son up to these days. All right. Shirok Lofton is his name. I think don't think he's doing too much. But you know what is doing a lot? Fucking Enterprise episodes lately. What's the name of this fucking banger? This is going to be season four, episode 15, Affliction. This was uh, premiering on February 18th, 2005. This is a helipay by Mike Sussman, story by Manny Cotto, directed by Michael Grossman. We are 
just continuing to pour on layers of interesting continuity and drama and intrigue. And this is just so much in this episode. And I find it endlessly amusing that the reason this episode exists is because of 1960s makeup. Yeah. Or specifically what 1980 when TNG premiere 87 or 85 87. It exists specifically because 1987 makeup and the decision that we're not going to make, but as Voltaire put it right (laughs) to uh, not be Puerto Ricans with gold LeMay instead Mm -hmm. be uh, heavy metal uh, rockers from the dead with lobsters on their head. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Um, So this episode exists as a consequence partially of a DS9 episode, uh, but mostly of the ongoing apparent mismatch between the way that Klingons looked in the original series, which is to say kind of just had some uh, dusky makeup put on and with some garish outfits and uh, are very stern uh, to becoming, you know, space samurai. And, I don't think you necessarily had to explain that. <laughs> like, I don't think that anyone was expecting Enterprise to be like, boy, this is a real burning question. We need this prequel series to fucking confront, right? Like, forget all of this rich understanding of how the Federation was born. Fuck that. I want to know why the Klingons went from smooth foreheads to rocky foreheads. Fucking explain this to me. But yet, they find such a really interesting plot to 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 use to tell that story that's like yeah fuck it let's go dare i say amazing uh i don't want to jump ahead too far here but the the origin of this plague i guess and drawing eric soong and i'm sorry uh eric soongchez into it yes eric soongchez infinitely excellent and what else is really good and it's very surprising for me to say anything good in the way of CGI and Enterprise in the same breath. But when they open up to Targ, like eating scraps of shit off the floor and it looks amazing. I don't know if it's the bad lighting of the Klingon ship or what, but this is probably the most believable Targ I've ever seen short of them taking like a dog or a warthog and strapping prosthetics <laughs> to it like they used to do in uh, Enterprise. This Targ yeah. is named Boshar and frankly, like. I love that he's just this. He's just a dog. He's just a nasty Klingon dog boar, you know? Aren't they all, though? Yeah, well, but they like, eat him, though, too, don't they? They do. But this is the first one where it's like, oh, no, it's just it's it's this guy's dog. You know, he's had it since he's a kid. <laughs> you know? like, it's, this this Targ has a backstory. <laughs> but uh, you, you, let's let's right off the rip. We've got the most unbelievable guest star in the world in this episode. Uh, it's it's Uncle Phil himself, James a- a- Avery. Master Shredder from the Ninja Turtles cartoon. I, I didn't believe it. I was like, man, this guy sounds like Uncle Phil. <laughs> and, you know, cool stuff's happening. They're hooking up a some sort of a cut up fruit jug full of ecto cooler to some guy who's saying that he was excused from his death sentence. But yeah, what's his name? James McAvery. I think James Avery, James Avery. 
who I want to say he passed away six years ago or so. Uh, I think maybe 10 years ago. Um, so yes, let's, let's dial back here for a second. Um, James Avery is uh, the actor who plays the Klingon general Kavach, who we see uh, initially here in this opening scene. No. General Uncle Phil. General General Uncle Phil. And General Uncle Phil, obviously, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Uncle Phil, seminal role, fantastic. Beloved, Everyone's. A beloved surrogate father of ev- everyone who was watching TV in that era. Right up there with Carl Winslow, man. And, you My know, dads. If, if, if the two of them were on Star Trek together as Klingons, that would have that, you know, that would have been a real achievement unlocked. But shame on you, Manny Koto, for not making that <laughs> not one thinking happen. of that. I mean, book James Avery. Why are you not? Why are you not getting Carl Winslow in this? If you could have got Carl Winslow as the doctor guy. Oh, perfect. Or oh, Carl you Winslow as General Officer Winslow, followed by Dr. Uncle Phil. Perfect. This would have been one of the all time great Star Trek entries. James Avery, though, little trivia, one of the finalists to play Worf. So he's had a long connection to Trek from back in the day. I well, I was going to just say, I hope we don't curse him the same way we've cursed Gary Graham with a young death. He that one's not on us. No, right? no, 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 no. I think that that he he was always a big guy. So I I just he's such a, he has such a unique voice. It is a little like. Like you said, like, I don't know. Uncle Phil is a Klingon general. I don't know about this, guys. But he turns out he's awesome. He's and exactly listen, what you want. He's just, as you've pointed out, fact, you know, kind of reasonable, kind of not. <laughs> you know, that's Uncle Phil. It's Uncle sometimes Phil. he's given great fatherly advice. And sometimes he's just throwing young men out of his house. And sometimes he's executing prisoners at point blank range. He was a judge, you know, (laughs) it's it's a part of his character. So something going on. It's bad. Involves a bunch of cranial ridges, maybe melting. We'll get back to that because first we want to say. So in this opening scene, they hook the guy up to the ecto cooler. He starts and then the ridges like move around on his head. I forgot that this episode existed. That, you know, that that conceptually Enterprise addresses the lore about the uh, the weird Klingons of the 60s. I was very pleased when I realized from that opening that that was going to be the story they were telling here. That's the opposite feeling I've had many times where I sit down ready to watch some Star Trek Enterprise or just Star Trek in general. And then it's uh, the fucking pretty, pretty princess special cargo one where I'm just like, oh, God, (laughs) It's like, no, this seems rad. It's it's continuity. It's your favorite thing. Also, too, this is a Klingon episode, and uh, it's rare for me not to hate a Klingon episode. So. You liked the Klingon episodes in Enterprise, to be honest. Because they're not really real Klingon episodes in terms of what um, Berman era Trek taught us to be Klingon episodes. This is a falling kingdom. Right. Not a fallen yet. It's on the way. It's like, uh, you know, you've played Bioshock, right? Yeah. You know, like, I think some of the untapped potential of Bioshock is you only got to see Rapture after it was dead. Well, you know, they're making that Bioshock TV show. Hey, listen, if the Fallout TV show ends up being good, I'll I'll pay it some attention. I actually read the book for the... um, for Bioshock, that was like the precursor to Bioshock one and, you know, dealing with like the construction and habitation. Oh, really? 
rapture. It's good. Um, and it, exactly what you're saying here. Revealing more to the Klingon Empire than just the warrior cast. And this is stuff that we examined in very close detail back at the. Uh, With Saul God, Gachman. Yeah. Saul Gachman. So good. Who was that? Jay Minor? I think so. Some someone came up with that one. One of our Yoga. fans called him Saul Gachman. We wish we were Perfect. that clever. Whoever you were, consider yourself credited. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me on Discord later who you were. Mm-hmm. But obviously your joke was good. Uh what's also good is the beauty shot we get of the NX01 as it's orbiting Earth. I like the above, you know, like the the camera kind of above it as the ship kind of is in this orbit and we hear from a captain's log that uh Enterprise has returned to Earth because it's here to uh celebrate the launch of the columbia so in the uh, we've we've known this is happening because of course in home we met captain hernandez and that the ship was under construction and apparently it's finally about to launch and of course it's about to launch and tucker is headed over to transfer and so he's going to have a salty last conversation with paul before he does <laughs> i i kind of like that he's just trying to put it behind him by like, I'm not engaging with you anymore. I've tried. We've seen him try over the last like four episodes to like rebuild his relationship with her. And he, she just hasn't been interested. And that's part of the reason why he's decided he has to leave. And now here she is being like, you're not leaving because of me. Right. And he's like, no, I'm just leaving. Cause I don't want to, you know, I don't, I want a new challenge and it's time to move on. And I'm not, gonna i'm not gonna feed this beast any further i tried zero hour was february 14th oh that's cute that was valentine's day uh february 14th 2154 this episode is november 27th 2154 so it is about nine months later what the fuck are they doing with columbia like going like full in character here, you just had the Zindi attack go down. Like Columbia seemed almost space worthy about the time that Enterprise was departing to go investigate the Delphic Expanse. Um, how has Starfleet allowed this fucking thing to flounder in space dock for as long as it has? Obvi- again, you know they answered everything. It's just it's a TV show and like oh. This is well, where they, they mentioned that six months behind in dialogue. Like, it's not that they're trying to ignore the fact the ship is behind. It's that, you know, the shit's complicated. But that's you already Tuck- got Enterprise, though. Like, you've got a working vessel that's the same design, basically. Um, hey, we landed on the moon in Apollo 11 and then we fucked it up in Apollo 13. Like, you can do something successful. You can even do something successful twice, but it doesn't mean you're going to keep doing it over and over and over again successfully. And the idea of Tucker is like, I'm going to sh- go over there and I'm going to whip it into shape and I'm going to get that ship launched because it's fucking see, these engines not being ready is inexcusable. Okay. Shame on Forrest or Gardner or who, uh, whoever for not having basically at this point made enterprise just return and move the entire engineering team over to, to get this thing up and running. Um, based on what I saw in this episode though, I'm going to go and venture guess the problem with Columbia is directly tied to the fact that you have light up mufflers. 
<laughs> What's the difference between the NXO one and the NXO two? Apparently, a bunch of unnecessary columns with with LED Strobe lights light. on them. Yeah, and a single piece of scaffolding with a monitor on it between the captain and the the helm. Yeah, just right in the way, <laughs> right, right in the way. If you just want to, like, you can see you have to maneuver around it. Archer sent a report in to Starfleet shipbuilding and said, "All right, here's my input. One." Um, please stop putting explosives in the consoles. I'm losing good people to needless explosions. Two, if we could put something that you could theoretically easily bang your head into while sitting in the captain's chair every time we slam on the space brakes, I think that would make um, everything a lot better on the ship. Well, maybe that was a compromise, right? If we're going to take the IEDs out, we have to have concussion hazards. You know, it's one or the other. Well, listen, uh, no one's coming from having their face blown off by a console <laughs> explosion. Archer 1, Starfleet Engineering Corps 0. Back on uh, in San Francisco, when, which we have an establishing shot of, and when I say an establishing shot of San Francisco, I mean literally just San Francisco as it is today. <laughs> Nothing sci-fi about it. It's literally just go out to the Oakland side of the bay and just shoot some B-roll. I didn't see any space hobos pooping all over the place. Okay, true. Must be the future. <laughs> uh, but uh, Flox and Hoshi are finally going to Madame Chang's, a place they've talked about in the past. A Chinese restaurant with apparently an excellent egg drop soup. Uh, they are leaving, and they are noting it was busy. They're having the chit-chat. These two have been friends for the entire run of the show, so, you know, love when they put them together just to kind of, like, hang out with each other. And they go down a dark alley, and they don't run into any space hobos, but they do run into some some thugs with guns, and they want flocks. Now, we do see that, you know, Hoshi has retained her ball kicking powers because she immediately like kicks a gun out of someone's hand and starts doing Kung Fu. Um, do you think Flox flinched when he saw her start kicking? Absolutely. Do you think oh, he's like PTSD? Like, that's why he couldn't wrestle the gun away. He just saw that foot come way too close to him. You I, know, for real though, when exactly did Hoshi become a ninja? And the moment she was Asian as far as like twenty early 2000s TV logic is she concerned. That's just the way never, it is. I'm trying to think of a single time. I think there was like one time prior to this, she showed a capacity for like, you know, competent hand to hand. But what she breaks out here is just ridiculous. And I would say antithetical to the picture of Hoshi that has been painted thus far. It was she didn't mention that she had a black belt in Aikido when she was talking about breaking the dude's hand or whatever in a server effect. So I'll grant that like they did establish she has these skills through dialogue. Yes, after three seasons of being a floundering bookworm, suddenly uh, she suddenly remembers (laughs) she has a Tom Paris moment where uh, she decides to let everybody know that she is one of the world's authorities on uh, Fort Knox or underwater exploration or. In this case, was it Hapkido? Aikido. Aikido. Unfortunately, Hoshi's generic Asian mastery of martial arts is insufficient to stop the kidnapping attempt. She gets concussed. Uh, whoever these dudes are, they they stun flocks and make off with them. And uh, they cut right back to the same scene with, you know, Starfleet CSI on this, you know, canvassing the area. 
and uh, we've got the the cop who's annoyed by all of these guys who showed up and are basically ordering her around and is kind of a bitch to him. Yeah, but listen, lady. <laughs> but yeah, like I'd be a bitch to him too. Don't I'm kind of on her side. <laughs> yeah, you you could be on her side, but also these are like the five people who stopped the world from exploding. And also all of space being filled with space goo. So I'm going to say true. she's they seem pretty under, underappreciative of flocks, like the doctor, like, yeah, you know, the person was the physician on the ship that saved your life. That guy. Yeah. Um, I need more starstruck. I need more awe. Oh, so, yes, sir. Of course, sir. Whatever you need. We'll find him. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Uh, you're Lieutenant Reed. I, I've, I've read so many hollow newspapers about how you've invented a new way to hold a gun like a sissy. <laughs> It's all the rage. And also anti-cum force fields, truly a technology we needed. Yes. Uh, So the end result here is someone beamed away, which is important because it narrows the suspect fields. Because it's that goddamn Dr. Eli, whatever, Elias, right? What was Dr. uh, You were saying Eli Vance? What was his real name? It was Elias something, wasn't it? He's taking revenge for Flocks not saving his son, the transporter demon. The The next breadcrumb trail that they follow after they're done with the cop is they're going to look into the uh, satellites. That's right. They're going to look at the satellites to see who might have beamed someone away. So that's what Reed's going to go investigate. Did he call it a Starfleet satellites or is this like some unnamed Earth agency at this point? Starfleet. Yeah, it's it, the Starfleet security. Starfleet Starfleet runs all of this space stuff. There's no outside agency. So have the Mako. No, Mako is not disbanded yet. That's correct. But they they are separate, but have been invited in. They're the only ones with different uniforms. So while that's going on, Tucker is on the Columbia and uh, he there's a familiar face there with him. It's uh, your friend and mine, Seth MacFarlane himself, Ensign Rivers, who apparently transferred after the Zindi thing, only to be stuck with with Trip at anyway. Yes, uh, Ensign Ed Mercer, I believe, is that character's name. His, uh, apparently, his canonical name, according to the Decipher TCG, which you and I both consider uh, a quality source, is yes. Stuart Rivers. It's Ed Mercer. Okay. He would go on to, to great things. So he got chewed out for not fitting down a pipe properly. And was the result of that the plasma fire shooting out on the hull? Yes. I mean, that's a good reason to to move off the ship. That's a that's a hard one to live down. But also, you mean you're a fucking war hero. You're part of the ship that saved the Earth, right? Right. And, you know, if you're kind of a B-team player on enterprise you could be an a-team player on columbia right you know and still not good enough because no. uh trip gets over there and says everything we just said which is it's a fucking joke that this thing isn't running yet and uh we are supposed to be leaving dock on thursday and it's like sunday and this place is a fucking mess so we're gonna start running long shifts and we're gonna burn the candle at both ends and uh fuck around time is over i want to know who he's replacing and they don't really talk about there being 
uh, a different chief engineer, uh, just that he came on kind of. <laughs> well, that's a problem. That's why Columbia can't get out of space. They never put a chief engineer in. It's just a bunch of uh, middle managers and nobody knows. Nobody's made the schedule yet. I prefer to think that it's somebody who like did get fired, right? Like some some guy who was just drunk every day came to work and he just couldn't get the engines working. It's the grandparent of uh, Chief Engineer Argyle or any of the other revolving door of clowns that was on Enterprise or sorry, oh, Next God. Gen season one. Uh, what was it? What was the Japanese guy in season one? Because he actually showed up a couple times. I don't know. I'm not even <sighs> right. motivated to. That's next. That's greatest generations bit. I'm not touching that. So I will say that it's funny that Rivers, a.k.a. Seth MacFarlane, is not just show up in the scene like he had the one scene cameo in season three. He's like in three different scenes in this episode. He like he put in some work on this one. Yeah, like he had proved himself with that Zindi crisis stuff and was like, hey, you know. I I'm can just, be I mean, even in 2005, I'm surprised Seth MacFarlane's like, I, I like, I would just want to be in as many scenes as you'll put me. <laughs> like, I just love Star Trek so much. Just, just give me lines. I'll say whatever lines. It's fine. I'll work for scale. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get chewed out as bad as you want. Um, that scene wraps with uh, Captain Hernandez swinging by seeing trip in there and going hey you know it's customary to swing by and say i'm reporting for duty before you start doing stuff and he's basically like listen we need to get this fucking ship going (laughs) do what your ship fucking fixed or not yeah do you want to go would you like me to make it go as the pack let's say i do Uh, i do like that hernandez is very like you know she's kind of by the book like we'll do lunch we can swap stories about your old CO. You know, we've both swapped how things big with him. Dick is that, you know, I found while we were climbing rocks and being chased by bears or whatever. Also, uh, you're out of uniform because, and I thought it's cool. You know, it's easy to forget about the Enterprise mission patch, but this TOS tradition that every uh, ship has its own individual patch on it. And he needs to go get the Columbia mission patch because that's where he's going to be. I'm sure for the rest of the series. Oh, yeah, definitely. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. What also I just the next scene might be my favorite moment. I think <clears throat> you appreciate it, too. Archer's in his ready room. He's pacing. Uh, T'Pol comes in. And they start chatting about how. Hoshi heard some non-human language right before she was passed into unconsciousness, but she can't remember really what it was because she'd been hit in the head. And Archer says, you're going to have to do a a mind melt. And she's like, absolutely not. I'm not well-trained enough to initiate a mind melt. Are you crazy? And he's like, no, no, no. It's all good. I had Vulcan Jesus in my head for four days. I'll talk you through it. (laughs) Like, Yes. I love it. I love that that matters, you know? Hold on to Paul. Let me go ahead and human mansplain to you how to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this thing. secret racial gift you have, I happen to be a master of. So, well, I'll, I'll show you what's up. That'd be, that would be like, you know, the, the whitest man in the universe visiting the, the most, you know, loving and caring 
black grandmother and saying, I'm going to show you how to make collard greens. You know, like <laughs> it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, fuck you. I like the line in there where to Paul's like, well, you know, mind melds are dangerous. And Archer's basically like, yeah, but that's really what Hoshi's for. Hoshi is the person that we are perpetually uh, placing in harm's way, specifically in regards to uh, telepathic um, slash psychic uh, death threats. Like she got captured. We we left her on the planet with Camelestula. She got captured by the Zindi insectoids and tortured. She got brain bugs. Uh, This thing space ghosts got her that's you know speaking to bicycle kicking flocks in the balls she got trapped in transporter hell for a while yeah that's a good psychic torture um didn't she no i get that was the space ghost episode yeah you know this this is why she is here she is the balana torres she's uh you know we we don't have ai around to assault her her deal is (laughs) psychic threats um yeah the highlight here that archer came out of the the hosting experience of surox katra with lingering memory of the experience especially paired with uh to paul's uh engrossing herself with was it kishara yeah i need scenes where when they're off duty or at lunch or dinner or wherever they're eating these meals together, that she's got like a notepad out and she's like, I, I tell me about this specific thing. Tell me yeah, about, tell that. me more about how, how he felt about this. You know, like, you know, I'm going to write a book. I, I understand you don't have time to write a book about this bonkers experience <laughs> you had where Vulcan Jesus was in your head for four days, but this is a BFD and I, I need to, I need to chronicle this for the good of all Vulcan kind before you have so many fucking traumatic brain injuries that you can't remember your own name, let alone uh, what Sirach's uh, preferred sock material was made out of. It works, by the way, and they determined that it was Rigelians who are responsible for the kidnapping. Well, real quick on that, too. So. Uh, Archer leads her through the initial and this is the first time she's ever initiating mind meld, right? So this is a big deal in and of itself. It is also real cool. Oh, she did not put up any fight on this whatsoever. Or maybe they just didn't inform her that, hey, by the way, we might mess this up and like lobotomize you. It's like they didn't give her all of those side effects like they do from drug commercials. Like these are all the <laughs> things that can happen. They just like skipped skip that part. What's the worst that could happen? Um, nothing worse than you already experienced with the brain bugs. So like. Just yeah, don't be a party. Be, don't yeah, be a wet yeah, blanket, Hoshi. Fine. Yeah. When T'Pol's putting her hand on her, I didn't go back and rewatch, but like T'Pol fucks up a little bit, uh, and then Archer's like, uh, "Relax your emotional suppression," which I thought was gone forever. No, it wasn't that it's gone. It's that it's more difficult. You know. Old lady to Paul in E2 or E squared made it seem like that shit was done and over forever and that she was going to be struggling with her emotions at full force and just had to f- deal with it. I think it was Which, more, you know, I think he never is a difference between Vulcans at full force and Vulcans at 50% power. 
And T'Pol strikes me as someone who, you know, would be extremely emotional for a for a Vulcan, but still restrained compared to a human. Did she ever disclose to Archer that she had taken Trellium D? No. I don't no, think that he never has came any up. reason to believe that she is uh, out of order. So on my mind, I'm going to believe that Archer still thinks she's a normal Vulcan because he's stupid. And <laughs> it's never dawned on him all the crying and shit she does. And he's just like, hey, relax this emotional suppression and whatever little bit she might still have, she relaxes. Anyways, she fucked up the the mind meld at first, and then she refines it, and then they show the mind meld on Hoshi. Hoshi's got a big bruise on her face. I can't tell if that was from where she got hit by the Rigelians, or if that's like active injury she's incurring from like a mind meld virgin. Oh no, it was it, it was on her face before they started. So and it kind was, of a it big was... move on to Paul's end for mind melding on the side. She just got like pistol whipped on instead of yes. using her left hand and like doing the the not ouchy part of her face i don't have a transition out of ouchy part of the face to the discussion <laughs> about reed except to say maybe his face is always just kind of permanently makes me feel ouchy but uh he he is investigating the satellites finds the one that was covering san francisco suspiciously offline and as he tries to contact starfleet command over that he instead reaches some guy in a leather tunic. Yeah. Just some fucking guy who knows who he is and he knows who he is. And it's very shadowy and very like, obviously, I think, you know what this is supposed to be. Yeah, this is uh, one of the Dick sporting good villains. <laughs> come back from Rogue Planet. Or maybe it was the guy. What was the one with? Uh... Oh, it was Catwalk. That was the other. That was the last time we saw this haircut guy. <laughs> it's Coach. But yeah, leather tunic, if you want, this is supposed to be the origin of Section 31. You know, this is this is the proto shadowy intelligence organization nonsense. And whatever uh, relationship these two had, Reed apparently signed up to work for them at some point and still has some kind of obligation, some kind of boon owed that he cannot ignore and ultimately has to meet with this guy, Harris in some shadowy corner of San Francisco where he tasks <laughs> him with uh, going back up to enterprise and doing dirt on his behalf. Did I not call this? You did. And I knew it was coming. And so I said nothing. So here you are. It happened. The only you were right. This is the best way they have to make Reed somehow compelling is to <clears throat> join him at the hip with the most yawn of Star Trek elements. Um, that being said, I enjoy the plot. I enjoy that Reed is not happy to see this guy. I enjoy that, uh, we've put enough time in to show that Reed three years ago, four years ago is not the same Reed as the post Zindi crisis where there has been this communal bonding and he has come out of his shell. You know, he still kind of feels psychotic when you go at the. Was it E2 where he finds out that he never had kids or got married? Mm -hmm. He was still kind of a creep there, but um, I like when he is confronted with his own past that uh, it disgusts him. 
but he's still honor bound to follow it. So, yeah, the guy's like, I bet you want to know why that satellite was offline. Uh, meet me in one hour at these coordinates. Uh, I don't know. Would you say his name is Harris? Yes. Yeah. His name's going to be um, Commander. This could have been an email. Like, <laughs> why did Reed get dragged down to the surface? No information was exchanged at this. It was just on screen. It, There's an implication that information was exchanged off screen. I don't know. I just I think it could have been an email, man. And, uh, you know, uh, we're telling a story, whatever. We don't got time for every little pit stop. But like at no point do they ever really establish who the backup doctor is for Enterprise. Nor who the new chief engineer is going to be on Enterprise either. That's like that's how shallow this concept that trip is gone that we don't even like introduce people. But uh, they're like, all right, we've got a lead on where these Rigelians could have gone. Cancel shore leave, get everybody back up here. Coincidentally, that's when the tactical officer's down in his. Um, I don't know what kind of gothic scene he's in with all that smoke. <laughs> it's, he's over in the a machine was working extra hard this episode. We'll just say that he was in Janeway's gothic novel over there. Uh, we finally arrive back at. We'll call it the A plot, which is that Phlox is now on some kind of Klingon colony somewhere. Real quick, I do like that security lady pointed out that the last time Phlox was on Earth. He got uh, into a fight, yeah. Yeah. It's and like, that there's still this kind of lingering anti-alien sentiment. But uh, here's Phlox. He has arrived on scene with Uncle Phil and General another... Uncle Phil. Uh, space Uncle Phil and Doctor Doctor Antak. I'll call him Doctor Reasonable. And so Space Uncle Phil and Doctor Reasonable kind of give Flocks a story here. And the story is there is a plague that is going to kill millions of Klingons. We need help in curing it. This guy is here actually to assist you because you're a super brilliant scientist slash doctor. So you're going to fix it. And because we're Klingons, we're going to be maximally dicks about it and kidnap you and bring you here. Uh, and also Dr. Reasonable knows you, but you don't know him because when you guys met, he was wearing a disguise because nobody wants the Klingons at their science fairs. And Dr. Reasonable is our gateway into more of the falling kingdom stuff that we talked about earlier. And we got it with Saul Gockman before in terms of their legal process. Now we're getting it in terms of their scientific development, which is they don't have any interest in it, which means the people who do science and do medical arts uh, just kind of have to roll with the ridiculous ass punches that come with dealing with the warriors up to and including just stealing scientific information so that they can keep up on what the fuck is going on. It's like, yeah, man, I, I got to go to my neighbor's driveway and steal his uh, newspaper of science quarterly every couple months because we can't afford our own subscription. When they lay it all out on the line and say, hey, we've brought you here because, as you've said, uh, you know, there's this bad thing and a bunch of people are going to die. And, you know, we believe you to be the best chance in curing it. And then flocks somebody's like, let me get this right. Um there's m literally millions of innocent people that are going to die because of some sort of space flu. Right. I don't use my knowledge of science to not only devise a 
Peter, sure, but also administer. We made a pledge. Peter. We've made a pledge to let it go. And then he says, <laughs> "No." Say I, I clearly you don't know who I. Am. <laughs> this motherfucker doesn't. This motherfucker doesn't know who I am. I'm Flax. I really liked Flax in this episode. I, you know, it's kind of why I don't even really want to bring up Dear Doctor. It feels like a million years ago now. Like, this guy has turned into my favorite character on the show. His indignation at all of this, uh, the incredulous situation that, like, and it's preposterous, right? Like, you have millions of people infected with this, and you're so stubborn and prideful that you just can't go and say, hey, help us, which... We'll find out there's good fucking reasons why they're not advertising a need for help on this, right? This is oh, all absolutely completely justified in a larger picture here. But yeah, Flox's indignation throughout is consistent and completely accurate. <laughs> you know, and like that he portrays like with uh with um vocal inflection and I don't want to say ticks, but like like these these noises he makes. It's real good, subtle alien character acting. Agreed. It's stuff you never see on anybody else. Uh, it's, you know, human enough that we connect with it, but he still does these things that make him seem other. Uh, and it works really, really well. It, the, the guy understands the character. And I have to imagine that all that flourishes him devising ways to to again express the alien qualities of this guy at a uh at a physical level and of, and of all the f- medical officer characters throughout a Berman era trek flocks to me was the one that was portrayed in a way that made me believe he was a doctor the most i believe i mentioned that to you before he's not my favorite character in that role because you know, McCoy is great in, in his ways and the EMH is great in his ways and even Bashir and, and Crusher. But as out of all of them, F- John Billingsley seemed to really understand like this is he just found a way to make Flox authentically feel like a medical professional in a way that the others didn't. I'm still. I, I understand what you're saying. I especially after Picardo with uh, the doctor, like. I don't think anybody really shits the bed in terms of can I view this person as a medical professional? Um, but what Flox represents to me is a, a frontier force of medicine that I think we can do this thing. Oops, we can't do this thing. And now people are going to die. And I professionally, I don't, regret what we did but like personally i feel bad about what's happening around me like they don't have the magic blinking lights of the 24th century where you can just cure almost anything with minimal effort like yeah everything's hard work in the 22nd century there's a lot of uh failure and that's kind of been the fun thing for me to watch this guy going from like oh well these people are gonna die and i've got this cold yet friendly exterior to like the humanities rubbing off on me. And like this stuff's really starting to weigh heavy on me now. I, I agree. I agree. I just think Flox was able to, the way that he has such an easy mastery of everything in terms of assessing things, like he's a great at diagnosing issues and kind of real talking about them. 
I just always felt like that just made, I just looked really appreciated that about his performance. And it really comes out a lot in this episode. So I wanted to mention it. I like Dr. Reasonable paired with flocks. Cause this oh, is yeah. a nice example of two aliens, uh, medical professionals from very different cultures. Everything you said about the Klingons deprioritizing science and research and medicine uh, this guy being dedicated to his art, suffering under the yoke of warrior dominance. Um, you know, he reminds me of the Equinox crew of just like, hey, I'm trying to do this thing for the ultimate good. And I have gone down a dark path. He's not sacrificing space kitties. That, that I'm oh, aware yeah. of. Like, and, that, and that's part of the tragedy of his character and why he's interesting is that he's clearly like semi-regretful right like he doesn't like the circumstances he's in but he's learned to deal with them you know he's he's discarded that sort of moral hesitation at the fact that he stole the entire inter-species medical exchanges database it's like listen it's either i steal the fucking thing or i we don't have it and that's what i love too is that flox tries to play the honor angle in his face and he's very real about like i've made the choice between uh honor and saving people. I've sacrificed my honor because I'm dedicated to saving people's life. Like again, just more of that real bittersweet fall of the empire. Yeah. These people being forced to, to go downhill with the culture on them, but they're still committed to the cause. The other thing that kind of about this plot that as they start to just, you know, as like the, the pieces of it start to play out over the course of the episode that I really liked was, you know, the 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 ticking clock is that the Klingons are exterminating the problem, right? Like the the, it, the it's the Klingons that have kidnapped flocks are the ones who are going to get killed for fucking around with this. Uh, what we'll find out is augment uh, uh, DNA plan that got fucked up because COVID got involved. I love that. Like my favorite line of this episode so is uh, they're like, listen, we need to get this thing fixed because this colony is going to get wiped out. And so are we. And like, <laughs> like, Fox, we're going to die. Pants, like, I can't cure this thing by Thursday. <laughs> it's going to take me two months. It's Monday. I can't do this in four fucking days. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> You've kidnapped me to die. I, I just like the idea that, you know, there's this, we're going to save millions of lives. We're going to do this. And they keep making you think through the entire episodes. Cause it's going to be this, this awful contagion that's killing people. And it's like, no, the, the people who are going to do the killing are, are, are countrymen who, who are going to exterminate us for having a disease. So uh, could you get on it, please? Cause you're going to be included in that. Yeah. They come from the Protoss school of, uh, uh, of uh, blight control. So let's wrap up the second act before we move on. So I think we've decided we're going to do split this into two, like we did with some of the augments episodes. Hey, how about that? Mm. Uh, Because there's just a ton of content that we want to continue to talk about. But before we exit from this first half of the episode, uh, they bring in a, a subject that flocks expected to receive a dead subject to, to be able to autopsy, to understand more about the disease. And he's alive. And Dr. Reasonable is coming over with a hypo spray to euthanize him. And Phlox, this is just the way the blocking in the scene works and the timing is so excellent. Phlox is talking to him, 
telling him, no, that's unacceptable. We're not going to murder someone. And his back is turned to Space Uncle Phil. And then Space Uncle Phil is like observing this argument and he clearly becomes well, annoyed. Flox is like making good headway with Dr. Reasonable. And Dr. Yeah. Reasonable is like, you're right. There might be a better way. And then General Uncle Phil is like, zap. <laughs> just pulls his gun out, blasts the dude in the chest and just says, proceed. <laughs> just he doesn't very... even bother explaining like, listen. It doesn't matter if I just shot this guy now or we wait five days to Thursday when we get nuked from orbit because that's the only way to be sure. Like, we are all going to die on this fucking rock. Unless you cure us. <laughs> that is the very special episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air I'm trying to tell here. All right. Is this, is this the equivalent of Jazzy Jeff getting getting thrown out of the building? Is this guy just getting I got to see what happens in... Uh, well, this is a Jazzy Jeff. This is not the Jazzy Jeff moment. We'll see if the the pinnacle Jazzy Jeff moment will be happening uh, next. With Scotch, so I don't even get to watch the follow up to this. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, man. I hate to deprive you of that. Um, they do I'm find can be heartbroken. They find the wrecked Rigelian ship. Um, not long after they the warp trail ends, so. They suspect no, there could have been violence, and sure enough, they roll up, and it's blown up. Blown up. Everyone's dead. There are no uh, Denoblian bodies. It's all Rigelian bodies. And when they're scanning it, uh, <laughs> we know some fuckeries about because Reed sees that there's a result on the scan and does not disclose that information to the captain. And the the first half of the episode wraps up with him having a secret. Uh, squirrel conversation with Harris where he's like, I uh, lied, told him it was Orion's or that's what Harris suggests that Reed should say. Just say it was Orion's. Um, And he's like, I do not like this. I do not like lying to my captain. I'm being compromised. This is nonsense. Why am I having to lie about this crap? And this, this Harris guy is not sympathetic. He's like, just get used to doing dirt. You're a spy. That's what spies do is they lie. And uh, that conversation is cut short by battle stations and red alert Klaxians because they are under attack. And so that's what we'll pick up. There's just so much content in this episode. I feel like we talk about it for three hours. Like we haven't even gotten into the actual augmented Klingons themselves. We haven't actually got into all the rest of the drama with the Klingons and what they've decided to do and why. Um, I just love it. I love it when the show's this good. It's good because they're taking staple Trek topics and exploring them. It's good because we're seeing long-term character growth and like opportunities for like flocks to really shine. Uh, And read. (laughs) I mean, that's the shocker. Yeah, that is the shocker. Right you read something interesting to do, and it is interesting, right? Like, why? who is this guy, and why is he somehow involved with what has happened? Yeah, I, I'll save all that conversation for, for next week. Uh, yeah. And again, right. the, the empire in decline. It's uh, cool stuff. It's always cool stuff hanging out with y'all, talking about Star Trek here on Future Please. See you next week.